Happy almost Christmas and general goodwill to everyone during this holiday season. And thank you for downloading the latest edition of the podcast known as Scoring at the Movies. For the 26th time this year and for 119 episodes over the course of many years, we will review a sports flick and we'll also be spoiling it. I'm the hat to the back ne'er-do-well who will meet you halfway while raising awareness of wrist violence, Ryan's Ellie. And here's the truck driver who likes brute because it smells like a man as his big rig spews enough black smoke in one hour to kill an entire rainforest, Chris Gregorios. Notice the S is in the wrong place in our names, because if this movie can't get the main character's fucking name right, then why should I get our names right? Oh, thanks, Ryan. I hope it's all right that I drove my smog-spewing semi-truck through your front gates, over your many marble statues, and then right into your front door. Funny you didn't notice that when I drove in anyway, but it's still there. So. My house is so big, I didn't even hear it. No, that's fair. I mean, it is a palatial estate. We've talked about that at some length, that your recording studio alone would fit most urban houses into it. So, If you did that to our house, we would be so fucked. <laughs> <laughs> also, by the way, they're raising awareness of wrist violence reference. I used it, I think, on Golden Arm, the other arm wrestling movie we covered <laughs> this year. Colbert reference? When he broke his wrist on the old yeah. Colbert Rapport, and that was so great. He gave away their wrist-strong bracelets, and he was raising awareness of wrist violence. All right, before we get into Over the Top, you might as well open your drinks right now because we're going to need them today. Oh, boy. We would anyway, but we really do this time. Fully work. There we go. What is that you're drinking there? It's just a good winter stout. Okay. An Irish stout. And I'm back to having a, what is it again, CC and Diet Pepsi here in the Christmas season. If I've learned anything from watching this movie, it's that you can live the life of a trucker, meaning you basically just live off of fried food and alcohol and still have like 3% body fat and just be shredded like sliced alone. And all it takes is a few half-hearted pull-ups off the front end of your truck in the morning and bam, you're good to go. And have your son bitch at you about your diet. Yeah, exactly. Now, I don't have a son, so my diet still sucks, but I assume I'll just look like sliced alone in 1987? 87, yeah. 87, yeah. When I thought we should do this movie because it went on Canopy, so it's, of course, free and easy to access, I didn't know it was an anniversary film, 87. Of course, that makes it 35 years old. So it came out February 13th. All right, well then, let's get into it. The Angry Handshake movie that's not called Golden Arm. I do like that I came up with that Angry Handshake, and now we've said it twice since August. And we liked Golden Arm. I can't believe we've done two arm wrestling movies this year. Well, you suggested Golden Arm because it was available and because you just thought it was cute and charming, and I hadn't even heard of it. Yeah. Woman directed, woman starring, all that stuff. That was a reason to do it, too. Something different. And we thought it was fun. This one I thought maybe would be terrible, and it was. But one of the biggest ones I already said it was, how do you not get the name of the character, the last name, of your character right that you helped write stallone isn't stupid but he says his name is lincoln hawk many times and then in the middle of the movie in that jail sequence hey hawks you coming out here yeah i'm lincoln hawks and then as you point out because we saw this together mike is looking through the letters that were sent that he never knew they were sent to him because grandpa hid them away yeah and you saw it so i rewound it hawks but yeah. then they're back at the end of the movie they call him hawk again it would be one thing if half the movie he was Hawks and then it switched over inexplicably to Hawk. That would be 
annoying, but once we notice this back and forth, because it starts almost immediately, hawks, hawk, hawks, hawks, depending on who's speaking and what scene it is, it changes. It became like a game. Oh, what is he going to call him this time? There's so many things about this movie that are inexplicable, but that might be top of the list. It might be the most inexplicable thing we've ever seen on any podcast. I'm not saying this is the worst movie we've covered, because we were entertained. Oh, far from it. Yeah, it was a fun movie. But how do you fuck that up? Hawk Hauling. Okay, even if his name was Hawkins, you could call it Hawk Hauling for the sake of pithiness, and that's sure. fine. But if his name is Hawks, then it would probably be Hawks Hauling. Keep it consistent. There's whole sections on IMDb about continuity gaffes mm-hmm. and stuff. This has got to be king continuity error amongst feature films. I can't think of... This is right up there with Starbucks Cup in Game of Thrones, right? If anything, worse, because at least that was just one scene. This right. is the entirety of a feature-length movie. The director, Menahem Golan, is Israeli, and I guess he's probably not an English speaker first, so maybe that's part of the problem. But Stallone is, for all the times he's taken heat for the way he speaks, he actually speaks English quite well, and he himself says it. It's not just written down. If it was just about writing it down wrong, fine. I told you the story in A Clockwork Orange that Alex DeLarge in some correspondence. It's when he's gone through the procedure and they have newspaper headlines. I never noticed till I saw this online. It says Alex Burgess, because that's the name of the author. So originally, I guess, Kubrick called him Burgess and then in the dialogue changed it to DeLarge or vice versa, whatever. But they don't ever like draw it. No, because you didn't notice. I never looked until, oh, it's the wrong name. Oh, now I can't not notice it. Right. But it was only because it was in text that it was different. It wasn't somebody saying Alex DeLarge or Alex Burgess. And the guy's name is not that far off. It is Hawks or Hawk. And I know we've talked about this for probably two, three minutes, but I just can't believe that the guy is saying it, meaning Stallone, is saying it wrong. If Golan had it written down as Hawks, but it was always being said as Hawk or vice versa, that'd be bad enough, but I can understand that. But the dialogue is wrong that way. Stallone has a screenwriting credit in this movie, Mm -hmm. in addition to being the Rewriting, though, really, but yes. Yeah. And I think a lot of what confused the heck out of me with this has to come down to a deeply flawed screenplay because I think as we were watching it, I turned around to you and I said, they filmed stuff with a certain intention and then recut it and reordered certain shots. A good example of this was one of the early shots of Stallone where he's bearded and he pulls his truck into the garage to clean it and stuff like that. And all of a sudden he's clean shaven for like a two or three minute sequence. And then it cuts to him at a wash basin and you pointed out, oh, there's the shaving stuff. But I think that one small instance is just symptomatic of a bigger problem with this movie. And a lot of things that the movie brings up but doesn't explain or pay off, that stuck with me. And you and I kicked around ideas about why this might be the case, but mm-hmm. we never learned exactly why Hawk bailed on his kid to begin with. Maybe he's just a guy that had commitment issues. I don't know. We never learned why his wife took him back. We never learned exactly what the rift was between the father-in-law and Hawk. We never learned why the mother intercepted all of the letters that Hawk wrote to his kid and kept them. I thought maybe Grandpa did that. After she's passed away, Mike is in his mother's bedroom going through her purses and finds the letters, right? Because the ones to Christina have been ripped open. His to Michael is unopened. So they're just in the same stack in the Oh, God, that's even worse than I didn't notice that. I thought it was supposed to be Grandpa's hidden stuff. On top of that, why do you have Hawk do the whole thing where he literally drives his truck into the father-in-law's house, get arrested, sign custody paperwork that probably has no basis Too bad, Lincoln, you signed the kid over. None of that ends up mattering at all by the end of the movie. Because he got my stun Yeah, because he wins an arm wrestling competition. They drive off into the sunset. What happened to the rest of the movie? None of that was resolved. There's a movie they could have made that was way simpler. Maybe Hawk did something stupid, got arrested when Michael was just a wee kid, goes away for 10 years, gets out of prison. Shortly thereafter, the mother gets cancer or whatever she has. So she she needs him back now, meaning her husband. Yeah, so you don't really need the father-in-law angle. 
he just has to bring Mike to his mom as she's passing away or something. And then maybe he finds out that the mother borrowed money from Hawk's old associates to pay for some cancer treatments. And then she passes away. He's got to come up with money quick. Arm wrestling competition. He wins. Boom. Bob's your uncle movie done. And it's a lot simpler than all these weird little side quests that don't matter in the end. Right? I think the grandfather being an antagonist is not a bad thing at all. And Robert Loggia, of course, is a really strong actor. Robert Loggia. Yes. All right. I mean, I always got to say that every time we do a Robert there's a potential movie. the evil father-in-law. For he didn't sure. like Lincoln. That's what this really comes down to. I think and so, he made yeah. him leave. I think that's what Lincoln does say in their confrontation in Vegas. He kind of implies. You like, made me leave. What does he say? You, you drove me away. Drove us apart or something like that. Yeah, we all. I shouldn't say we all have in-laws we don't like, but I don't think. Yeah, we probably do. (laughs) Let's say it's probably not uncommon that you have an in-law or relative you don't like. That doesn't mean you just bail on your spouse or something. And your kid. And your kid, right. Because I think the kid's supposed to be two. When Hawk leaves. Right. And you're right. If he went to jail, then also Grandpa could be. And Grandpa, of course, is Jason Cutler. So I'll probably call him Cutler in this. But Loja's character. He could have told the kid all along that. Yeah, he left you. Which wouldn't be true in the usual way, or even the way it's done here. It's not a matter of going out for cigarettes and never coming back, like Nelson Muntz's father in The Simpsons. <laughs> yeah. Nor is it that he went to jail and couldn't get out, and then he was lied to by the grandfather. And maybe Christina was mad at Lincoln until she got cancer, and then, sure. I need him back in my life, and I always did love him after all, Dad. But they didn't do any of that stuff. And also, I didn't remember Susan Blakely playing Christina Hawk in this, because I saw this a long time ago. But I didn't know she was going to die. And she dies so early on that she's third build and probably shouldn't be. Not that anybody in the movie is a big name other yeah. than Stallone and Loja. But she's gone so early on, Stallone never has a scene with her. On the phone he does, but not on camera. It's funny. I thought for sure there'd be a bedside scene if she was going to die. If Stallone goes to jail at the beginning, not only do you have all those things you can do with the father-in-law that you just talked about, but you can also set Stallone up as maybe the good guy with good intentions, but bad life circumstances or something. Like maybe he goes to jail because he got in with the wrong crowd because he was trying to make money so that his kid could go to a good school. Cutler did accuse him of doing drugs or running drugs. Yeah, but we never really figure out what all that's about because Stallone never went to jail in this movie as far as we're aware until he drives his truck into Cutler's house. But if you do that, at least then you're like, okay, so Stallone's character, if he went to jail when Mike was young, and he gets out of jail and he tries to pick up where he left off, you can say, okay, we learned all about that backstory. Now Stallone's the good guy who did something stupid. As it stands, we got no knowledge about this character that Stallone plays basically at all, except that he's always looking morose and taciturn all the time and constantly giving his kid what can charitably be called questionable life advice. Oh, man. Here's another thing that makes no sense to me at all. The song plays, I think, three times in this movie. Meet me halfway. Yeah. Kenny Loggins, yeah. which neither of us believe was true, but I looked up and said, who is this singer? I don't know if I quite recognize him. And I know Kenny Loggins well. to recognize that voice. Because, yeah. of course, Footloose and Danger Zone from Top Gun and many other great hits that Kenny Loggins had over the years. The 80s were big for him, but it is him, according to the credits. Yep. Just like there's a Sammy Hagar song in this and other popular artists. So Meet Me Halfway plays over and over again. And I was going to download the song until they made me sick of it. <laughs> and one of the reasons why they made me sick of it is because it is a bit weenie, actually, the whole song is. But also... Lincoln tells his son, and this is similar to what happens in Rocky Balboa, that great speech where, go out and get what you're worth, blaming people, that are you. Yeah. That's how awareness done. That whole great speech, right, in Rocky Balboa. It's similar in this, only it's not nearly as intense because he never really gets intense with his son. No. But he's saying things about how the world's not going to meet you halfway. But you have a song in your movie three times that is called Meet Me Halfway. The most potent life advice, parental advice that Stallone gives his kid, and it happens a few times because the payoff at the end of the movie is meant to be Mike turning around and telling his dad, you want something? Go get it. You can do it, right? Life's not going to give it to you kind of thing. But you're right. It makes no sense within the context of the musical cues. 
And frankly, it's not great parenting because I think at one point, in addition to like, go get what you want out of life, it's explicitly screw everybody else, only look out for yourself is basically the way Stallone phrases it. Frankly, too many people do behave that way. And that's why a lot of the crappy things exist in the world that do. But that would be bad enough, except they have a song that doesn't even buy to that. And that song sounds like a love song, too. It sounds like it should be a man and a woman. Okay, it could be two men, whatever. It doesn't sound like a father and a son song. No, although we do have some tender moments between Stallone and Mike in this movie, which are equally inexplicable because at one second, Mike is, I hate you. I hate you. Oh, God, this poor kid. And then immediately the next scene, he's got Stallone asleep on his arm or happily working out with him. And then next scene, I hate you again. And then, oh, no, I love you now. I hate you again. Keeping in mind, they just met 24 hours ago and then we're effectively strangers until that point. This kid has got some whipsaw emotions in this movie. They're just crazy. David Mendenhall is asked to do some irrational things by the filmmakers, by Golan as the director and by the script. And it's not his fault, but he did win the Worst Supporting Actor and Worst New Star (laughs) at the Razzies. Now, that's pretty rough to give those awards to a kid who's doing the best he can. And they ask him to do some stupid things in this movie. Yeah, they do. But he did win those awards. And Stallone was nominated for Worst Actor. It was the fourth of 15 Lifetime Worst Actor nominations he's had. And he was nominated for plenty more Razzies over the years as a supporting actor a director, and a few times for his scripts. I don't think their performances are all that bad, though. I think it's the script that lets them down. I don't think the kid is that terrible. And Stallone shows here, even though he's nominated for the Razzie, I'm not saying he was good, but was he that bad? I don't think so. He's got a tenderness in him. He's got a hurt. Stallone can really do that well. Yeah. I always remember the reviewer that talked about Get Carter, which was not a well-reviewed and well-liked movie, and nobody saw it. The remake. Michael Caine was Carter in the original, and then he's in that one, but Stallone is Carter in the remake. I like the remake. It's silly It's Rachel Lee Cook or something is talking about something, and something terrible happened to her, and Stallone tears up, and the critic talked about how this may not be a good movie, but that's a great moment. Some of the same things are going on here with his son. He's so calm and quiet with him. He's not actually talking like this. I'm going to do it anyway, because it's fun to talk like that with Stallone for the Rocky movies. The worst thing he does acting-wise, though, and again, this is probably the screenplay more than the performance, is when Mike who learned to drive the truck early on, which is a good setup so he can drive a pickup truck. Good setup is generous. Okay, good is generous, right. But that's how he can drive a vehicle as a 12-year-old, and not a particularly big 12-year-old. He's not a big kid. Yeah, yeah. But he drives to the airport in L.A. and flies to Vegas and somehow finds his dad. But when he does, Stallone underplays it so much. He should be, what are you doing here? <laughs> yeah. Either thrilled or even a little bit upset at him because how did he get here? There's no way his grandfather brought him. So did you pay for something to come all the way here? Meaning somebody drove you here? Did you do what you actually did, which was get on an airplane, which is very dangerous? It's almost like you just came back from the bathroom. <laughs> What's he doing there? You should be more upset, outraged, surprised. Yeah. So okay, man, that is a bad performance moment and a bad script moment. It's definitely a bad script moment. That was very funny. You're right. The way, just, yeah, the way it's under, cool. may as well just... Well, as we were saying five minutes ago, he wasn't there five minutes ago. He didn't say that, but that's the tone. Yeah. Last time Stallone saw his son's character, they were in a different state. And Loja's character had just told Stallone, you're never getting the kid. Yeah. He's my boy. So as far as Stallone knew, he was never going to basically see his son again. He should be overjoyed. He should be overjoyed. And so it's like, oh, hey, Mike, how you doing? Kind of, <laughs> that's like, it was so weird. The Razzie thing... I'm not going to comment on the kid because, like you said, that's just unfair to ask. Well, you did already. You said that he is a whipsaw motion-filled kid. Right, but that's a screenplay. I'm not, I'm not pinning that on the actor. I'm pinning that on the scene sequencing mm. and the motivations make no sense. I think what he cries is believable enough. He's not yeah. a bad actor in that way. Now, granted, the first time the kid has an outburst and starts crying... Bolts out of the truck right away. 
Runs into traffic? Straight into traffic. This kid's 12 years old. At the very least, I get you're upset. Run away from the eight-lane highway, not towards the (laughs) eight-lane highway. What are you doing? What are you, a squirrel? They're on the shoulder of the road. He could have jumped over the shin-high median and run into the field that's adjacent to the highway. Instead, he runs through eight lanes of traffic so Stallone can have the dramatic moment of catching him in traffic. Come on, man. That's kind of silly. But the Stallone stuff... We watched the first half hour of this. I think at that point you turned to me and said Stallone was nominated for Razzie, but I don't think he's that bad. And at that point I was like, yeah, I think he's doing okay so far. But then some interesting scenes started to happen. He had one moment facing off against Robert Loggia where he's screaming up the staircase at him. It's just such false rage, just streaming off Stallone. There was one scene, and it might be the last scene where we get Mike's mom still alive, where Stallone's on the phone with her. And this is shortly after Mike had just beaten the older kid in the goofiest arm wrestling matchup that I might have ever seen on film. Unsanctioned. Unsanctioned on a glass pinball tabletop. Mm -hmm. Just made no sense. Basically, Stallone tells him, get back in there, beat the kid. Yeah. Just because you want to doesn't mean you can. Good parenting by Stallone here. Go beat that kid's ass. Lose like a winner. Okay, that's good advice, but he physically wasn't going to beat him, and he somehow did. Well, then again, look at the tournament in this. Stallone is a powerful dude, not ever very big. I think he was about my height, or is about my height. But he's in incredible shape because he was between the Rocky and Rambo movies, by the way. He was between the two Rambo sequels, and he was between Rocky 4 and 5. So he's big by human standards, not tall. But compared to these other guys, they would wipe the floor with him. I know there's more than just raw size, but some of these guys' arms are wider than you or me. So the point being, these guys are so massive, including the guy at the end, Bull, he probably wouldn't beat them. It's the same thing. Maybe that's supposed to be a setup and payoff. This little guy is going to beat the bigger kid, just like I'm going to beat the bigger guys in Vegas, even with a hurt arm. That's 100% what it's meant to be. But just immediately after that goofy scene, when Stallone's on the phone with his dying wife, and he's describing, yeah, this is a great idea. We're getting along real good. How's the trip going? Oh, it's great. It's great. We'll be there soon. No problem. Behind him is the glass window of the restaurant. He's on the payphone inside, and Mike's just behind him through the glass. And I'm thinking it would be so goofy if somebody just came in and snatched the kid while while Stallone saying, yeah, it's going great. And that's exactly it. I'm like, what? Should have been a comedy. (laughs) It should have been a comedy. The kid gets snatched by two guys, thrown into a pickup truck. The pickup truck takes off. Stallone then notices and runs after him, gets in his crazy 18-wheeler kind of Mm -hmm. diesel truck thing. Very fast-moving 18-wheeler. Yeah. Or not 18-wheeler, but transport truck. Transport truck. Drives after the kidnappers without any concern for the fact that his kid is also in the truck he's chasing, starts ramming it with his much bigger truck, (laughs) causing it to crash at high speed. I either get the kid back or I kill him. (laughs) You ain't getting him. And he does. I thought, because again, I saw this movie once a long time ago, I thought that was supposed to be the point where he doesn't see the kid again because Cutler's hired the guys to get him. But he gets him back immediately. And we never see anybody try to abduct the kid again. Instead... Cutler just gets him back later It failed anyway. once, so I'll use the courts. <laughs> yeah, I'll use the courts. Why didn't you use the courts to begin with? I yeah. don't understand. If you've shot this movie, or you've got the screenplay, and you're like, oh, this is grievously flawed, because surely you knew the screenplay was flawed if you're Stallone. You rewrite it, you try to do the things we talked about to make it make a little bit more sense from a dramatic perspective, or you go comedy. Go golden arm with it. We've definitely seen comedies that are fun and funny, but still have emotionally poignant moments. You yeah. can do that. Especially if it's like a father-son story and all that kind of stuff. But there's so much goofiness in this movie. And Stallone is trying so hard throughout to play it melancholy and serious. Yeah. That I gotta get my son back kind of stuff. I gotta get my son back, Chris. Good lord, man. Well, Stallone took the job because a producer, it may not have been Golan, the director. Although he was a producer as well on this, Golan was. 
But somebody in the production kept offering Stallone more and more money. And then it says online that he took the job because no one's going to see it anyway. And he wasn't wrong. <laughs> it cost $25 million to make, which is a lot of money back in 87 for... Yeah, it's a road movie. They're on location a lot. But what not is, many big stars, two big names. And Loge is not really a big name. wasn't then anyway. Do you know of the 25, what was Stallone's... No, son? I didn't read that. But no. I wouldn't be surprised if it was... Well... Bruce Willis apparently set a record for actors' salaries when he did Die Hard, which was the year after this, and it was $5 million. So Stallone couldn't have gotten that much if that was the record a year later. But a couple million in the late 80s, A couple million, for sure, yeah. which is a okay. lot of money, no yeah, doubt. Yeah. But the movie only made $16 million worldwide, so it was quite a failure, and it should have been, because it's terrible. <laughs> and I'm going to give the nutshell, even though we've already talked about this point, but i got to read it because I wrote it down. Yeah. So, over the top in a nutshell, homeless man can't even keep his own name straight. And he's homeless because he's in that truck. I don't know if he even has a place to go home to. I'm talking about numbers. Let's continue on with this now. So Rotten Tomatoes, this could have been worse. 32% of critics gave this a positive review. Really? That many. Yeah, 3 to 10 basically said it's not that bad. 4.7 out of 10 is the average, too. This movie should have a 0% critic score because it is basically every perspective I can think of. It fails. It fails, right? From screenwriting, editing, acting. It fails. If you were to tell me, like, the audience score is way higher than the critical score, I'd believe it because, like you've already said, and I agree with you, Bad movie, but fun to watch and at times fun to laugh at and all that kind of stuff. So if you're an audience member, sure, like it. If you're a critic, you should hate this. But nobody went to see it, so that maybe tracks here because sure. it was 49% of audiences that liked it. So still far away from a fresh tomato. But still higher than the critics, yes. which makes some sense to me. There are 31 reviews, by the way, on the site for Rotten Tomatoes for the critics. It was 68th that year at the box office. The Running Man, which we covered a couple of years ago, I think it was, was 30th. It's a slow year for sports films. I really couldn't find anything else on there, not much else at least. 1987. So those are the numbers on a movie that isn't very good. <laughs> it was shot in southwestern United States. They went to Arizona, Colorado, Utah, and California. From what I was seeing, they didn't go to Vegas. But then again, I think they're pretty much just inside of a casino. Maybe they showed one of the casinos outside. Sometimes the IMDb is not accurate with this. Maybe they showed outside at a casino in Vegas just to set the location. They probably did shoot those tournament scenes for the arm wrestling in California in a studio. I don't think we saw any true casino interior. We see Stallone go up to a bookie cage, which we're meant to believe right. is at a casino. I don't even remember if we were told what... Oh, maybe it was the Hilton that was hosting this. We saw the old strip. We saw them entering That's the old... Right. We saw you the sands. We've like both that. been there. That's right. Yeah. I think it was the Hilton that was meant to be hosting this. And then we go inside. At that point, it's basically soundstage, generic, dark interiors. Rabid fans that really care about arm wrestling. Yeah, so many rabid fans. The one woman, the black woman taking notes. (laughs) (laughs) Not just taking notes, furiously taking (laughs) notes. What are you noting? He's pulling harder this time. Can I get that down? Yeah. Oh, a little bit harder. He's almost winning. The first time you pointed that out to me, we went back to rewatch the first shot of her furiously noting stuff down. I don't even think the match had started at that point. I think it was getting the grips all sorted out. And then it cuts back and forth because she happened to be standing right behind Mike in the audience. We kept seeing yeah. her doing it. So as the match progressed, she's still just furiously taking notes for, I guess, the local paper. That was one of the hilarious, goofy moments of this. The other casino-related stuff that I didn't really understand, or was never really explained, it has a bunch of threads that are set up, whether it's custody of Mike, relationship between Stallone and Robert Loja, the deceased wife, mother, character, whatever. None of those things are ever really tied together or paid off at the end. It's just, we win the arm wrestling match and on we go. So the stakes are kind of nebulous going into this final match. But one thing that Stallone does when he gets to Vegas is he sells his truck, 
gets, I guess, seven grand in cash because that's what he takes with him to the bookie cage at the bet casino. Bet himself. To bet it on himself. He says his own name. What are the odds on Lincoln Hawks? And that's when we turn to each other and said, it's Hawk. You said Hawk a million times in this movie. Stop saying Hawks. And then he gets the 20 to 1 odds. He lays the seven grand on it. And we never see him collect the money. What's the grand plan for this $140,000? Originally, I thought, okay, well, maybe he's going to use that to buy so a new truck. Start his own trucking company. That's what the idea is. Yeah, but then we find out that... But the, the winner's purse would do that for you anyway. And on top of the winner's purse... You get a truck. You get a truck as a first prize. beautiful brand new truck. <laughs> Which is very convenient for Stallone's trucker character that the arm wrestling competition he's entering in base right. features a trucker. Are they all truckers, coincidentally? I don't think so, but maybe they are supposed to be. Why did you need that hundred and forty grand if you already got the top-of-the-line truck and the quarter of a million? Did you just want more risk and more money for some reason? Okay. I bet on myself, you know. <laughs> what was he going to do if he didn't win? And he shouldn't have won anyway because of the size of Bull and those other guys. And Bull hadn't lost in years. And he's hurt. Yeah. What was plan B? <laughs> Mr. Miyagi, can you fix me? Do that thing you do? He needed Miyagi to go. <laughs> yeah. You know what would have made a lot more sense? Is if he asked. What are the odds on bull or something, right? Or he asked, what are the odds on... That's the dodgeball thing. Yeah, exactly. What are the odds on Hawk? And we get the 21. Oh, no, he bets on, in dodgeball, Vince Vaughn bets on his own team, doesn't he? But we think he's going to bet against think, them. Yeah, you pull a reverse here. He asked for the odds on himself. Okay, what are the odds on Hawks? Yeah. But we never see him lay the bet. You're right. He should lose by all rights at the end. So he loses and we think, oh, man. But he's like, no, oh, I really placed a bet on bull. Because Bull gave me five to one or whatever. And so he's like, I got 35 grand, new truck, right? Then it's 87. I'm sure you could buy a better truck than the piece of garbage he was driving for, sure. for 35 grand. Happy ending, and you don't have the inexplicable win. Lose like game. a winner. He would have lost it. He put his yes. best foot forward. Those words are uttered at least two or three times. Lose like a winner. Well, that's why he wins, of course. We see it multiple times. He does it early on in that random bar. Bull is coincidentally there, challenges him, but we got to save that for the end for them to actually go against each other. But Lincoln goes over the top, and it's just changing the grip, and then grabbing the other guy's fingers in a certain way, and maybe you crush him. I don't really know exactly what he's doing. You get that I would slow think mo. the minute you change your grip when it's the mid moment, especially if you're the one, because the whole point is that you're about to go down, you change your grip, I would think that would be the end of it. It must be like, I don't know, any example of something where you're in the middle of a physical thing, and you lose your focus for a minute, or you relax your muscles... You're going to fall. You're going to be hit. You're going to lose the arm wrestling match, whatever. How is that beneficial? But he does it in the bar bet early on. Mike does it when he takes on the other kid in the pinball machine over top of the pinball machine. And then, of course, naturally, he's going to go over the top during the tournament at the end yeah. with a bad arm against the guy who's the best at this in the world. We knew it was coming. It's illogical, but it had to happen. But it's also stupid. Just because of that. I don't think of an arm wrestling, and neither do you, I guess. But how is that a good move when you're already in this death clench? If you relax at all, it should be bang, done. The close-up shot of him slowly resetting his fingers before what you're describing, and then he manages to come over the top of his opponent and win the match, that never made any sense to me. We talked during Golden Arm about Devin Larratt, the Canadian arm yes. wrestling champion, who I find fascinating, mostly just as a human being, because the guy's physiology is... Some of the most gnarled musculature I've ever seen on anybody in my life. And I don't mean that in any derogatory sense. It's just true. The man's body has been through the wars. I think he was a soldier before he became an arm wrestling champion. Okay. So he was quite literally through the wars. So I've watched YouTube videos about Devin Laird and some of the stuff he's done. 
which is not to say I'm an arm wrestling expert by any stretch of the imagination, but because I've watched some of those things, the YouTube algorithm throws up certain videos in my face sometimes that I watch too. So I've learned a little bit about it. The over-the-top stuff, we've not given this movie a lot of credit for much so far, but I will give it credit for apparently over-the-top position in an arm wrestling match is hugely important. Oh, so I'm wrong. Not really. Stallone relaxes his grip on his opponent to, to, change it, yeah. to reset his fingers. And I don't think you need to do that. If you watch real arm wrestling competitions, I've never, in the limited viewing I've done online anyway, I've never seen somebody do anything like that. It's more like the wrist bend. Is it pronate that you're bending over top of your opponent versus being bent back? Mm-hmm. That is an important thing. You're able to lever your elbow more effectively and, and strongly, whereas if your wrist is bent back, you're in a weak position. You're, so raising, that, you're raising awareness of wrist positioning now. Not just wrist violence in this podcast, but wrist positioning. Well, if wrist positioning is negatively impacted, then wrist violence is sure to follow. One of the interesting shorts that just popped up into my feed, these 90-second clips or whatever, was Devin Lair talking about some European opponent that he hates arm wrestling against because the guy has an abnormally large thumb it's so big that his opponents can't get a proper grip around it to get that over-the-top position. They can't bend his hand back because of the size of this thumb joint. Devin Larratt is a big dude. He's 6'5", 250 or something like that. Some of his opponents are like bull in this movie, right? Who are like 6'8", 350 pounds themselves. But this European dude that he's talking about looks like he's 6 feet tall, 180 pounds. Like a pretty normal-sized guy. Really? Okay. But because of this giant thumb of his is apparently a nightmare to arm wrestle as his opponent, you can't get proper positioning. So it could have been Stallone on this then. If they had just given Stallone an enormous thumb in this movie, then all of the problems we had with, yeah, he's not going to beat these enormous dudes he's arm wrestling against. Especially when he's hurt. Especially when he's hurt. Which was another thing. You did not need to show him getting hurt. It's enough that he's beating a man that is 150 pounds bigger than he is. Why did you have to have the scene earlier where he's like, oh, oh, I I pulled something up. I think you and I are both in agreement that in certain instances, the underdog should not win. It makes a better movie if they don't. He's the most famous underdog in the history of movies, too, in Rocky. Rocky. Exactly. And this is A, one of those instances, and B, even if you want him to win, you don't have to make him such an underdog against an enormous competitor already. Leaving aside the fact that when he finally does get into that match against Bull, into the final... Oh, they say it's the finals many times, and there's still more than two people left. Oh, yeah. When there's eight people left, they call it the finals. And they call it again to the finals when it's four, and then again when it's two. The ring announcer also explains the rules 12 times. I'm pretty sure this was a single elimination tournament, but I'm not 100% sure about that. We weren't... <laughs> Remember, it's double elimination. You have to lose twice. And we predicted... Because, again, I've seen the movie, but I didn't remember this at all. I didn't actually know if it was going to come true. Because I could see Stallone's ego saying, no, I'm losing. But he does lose to the black guy, I believe, right? No, he beats him quickly. That's the one where, I wasn't ready. That was pretty funny. The wild man. The grizzly dude. The grizzly dude, yeah. The engine oil drinking guy. That's right, yeah. He loses to him. (laughs) And then we said, doesn't Bull then have to lose twice in the finals? Because Bull hadn't lost at all. He should have had to. But he didn't. He didn't. It did not need to be a double elimination tournament, except that I guess the director wanted the added drama of Stallone having lost once and having to bounce back from that. So now you've added this layer of complexity to the tournament structure. You don't actually follow the internal logic of that structure in the movie, which for pedants like me is really annoying. Mm. We didn't see Bull lose, but maybe he lost off screen and we just didn't see it. Except that just before the final, Stallone is talking to his kid. and He, he hasn't says, lost in years. He hasn't lost in five years. Presumably, Stallone's been paying enough attention to this tournament that if Bull had Important lost... Important information to know. Yeah, exactly, right? Because if your opponent has lost once, then you only have to beat him once. 
That'd but be, he might have meant, though, and I think I brought this up to you during the screen, that'd be like saying, you lost the game in the fifth inning when you're down by two runs. You haven't lost it yet. It's not over yet. So he could have lost that day, but hasn't lost yet. You pitched that in defense of the movie, just playing devil's advocate, but I still don't buy it. You Neither still, do I. I'm just yeah, trying to be devil's advocate. You still lose a match. That's why it's double elimination, because you've still been eliminated from one match. You just have a second mm-hmm. life in this we did get a good laugh in the final out of the sheer number of referees that were... I counted. <laughs> did you? I may have missed some. 13. Why do they need two? What do they think is going to happen at an arm wrestling contest? Well, we know what's going to happen because before they get started, yeah. Bull punches yeah. Stallone's character in the face. Should be disqualified. Should be disqualified. And despite the fact that there were 13 refs, nothing happens. Yep. You okay? All right. Don't do that again. <laughs> Just punch his opponent in the face and there's no consequence yeah. for that? All right. I don't think I've paused or rewound a movie as much, certainly watching with you, ever. But it was three, four, five times at least. It was one of those, wait a minute, what did I just see? Because when they showed the referees all converging and the scene continued, I thought, wait a second, I'm going to hit the old 10 seconds back button. And I paused it and we literally counted and I got to 13. There may have been more. Who's paying 13 referees? How is there any money for trucks and grand prize winnings when there's 13 referees to pay? And the facility. And also, when you have all these people watching this, is it a good spectator sport? I don't know. Maybe Devin Lariat, not Lariat, right? Lariat. Lariat. To answer this question. But it's kind of like dodgeball, which I brought up earlier. It can end so fast. What are you really watching? It's almost like a Mike Tyson fight in the 80s when he was still on top. Ding, ding, over. Yeah. <laughs> How is that really something you could have a spectator sport for? And all these people are so excited. Maybe arm wrestling can go a good long while, multiple minutes. Still makes for a pretty short sport, though. Yeah. We never really learned the economics of this particular tournament because the sheer outlay for the venue, for the referee squadron that they hired for this, I assume they weren't selling tickets to spectators because Mike gets into the venue. And as far as we're aware, this kid has no money. We never really find out how he bought the airline ticket from California to his dad's really grandpa's really rich though so does that mean he has money because he was in military academy until like a day ago stole it from (laughs) a place he knows there's money around there he could have grandpa's really rich too grandpa is really rich based on the sheer number of fountains that Stallone drove over getting in through his front (laughs) lawn you're getting your son back to do that you fucking maniac yeah You have a right to be upset, but you're not winning this. And that's the thing, too, at the end of this movie. Bev and I do what happens next all the time. You and I don't really do that very much. But in this case, it may be a happy ending, but he's not keeping that kid. Not legally. No. Loja doesn't even have to get tough with his bad guys. Terry Funk, who's in this. We covered him in Beyond the Mat, where he plays himself. Funk acted a lot in this time because he was one of those guys like Roddy Piper that seemed like he was maybe going to start transitioning into acting. He's in Roadhouse as well. Mm -hmm. But he's got a lot of scenes in this as the thug, one of the two thugs anyway, for Cutler. Who never really does much of anything. He's just there. He's the not whole... one of the guys that abducts Mike. No, he's not. He's got a great perm. We pointed that out yes, in this movie. True. Just fantastic yeah. curls. What happens next is exactly what you just said. Loges gave he the loses kid the kid. Yeah. because He's homeless, too. Well, maybe he can afford to buy a home now. But he came and say to some judge, he's my son. My wife died. I know I sat over the papers, but this is wrong, sir. Like in Rocky Balboa, where he argues, basically, you got a clean bill of health. Rocky could barely function in Rocky V, but by Rocky Balboa, which, yes, it's a decade and a half later, his brain could have cleared up. We see it with wrestlers sometimes. Some guys who look like their career was over, usually more for a neck injury, a back injury, and then they wrestle again when they're quite a bit older. It isn't impossible. It is illogical that in Rocky Balboa he could ever actually box again because of what happened to him in the previous movie, especially Rocky V, when he loses his career. But they're authorities. And Cutler may be wrong. The grandfather may be wrong, but he has paperwork. So... I don't know what you say when you don't have a home. Now you've got a nice truck and you've got money. 
but how do you prove that you can raise this kid properly when you also bailed on him? We get the scene earlier in the movie when we first meet Cutler. He's talking to his slimy lawyer, who makes a really emphatic case for the fact that Robert Loggia will never get custody of this child so long as Stallone's alive. I'm not intimately familiar with custody laws in the States, certainly, but I know a fair bit about custody laws here in Ontario anyway, and I don't think that's true. Rack up the facts of this guy. He bailed on this kid a decade ago. As far as we're aware, he's had nothing to do with the kid's existence over that period of time, including child support. Like you pointed out, Robert Loggia's very rich. We're led to believe that Christina Stallone's ex turned wife again before her passing in this movie. Or probably lived with her dad. Or was supported by her dad. When we see her place, it was very fancy. He's not supporting the kid. He bailed on the kid. He shows back up. And in that brief period of time in which he's with the kid, has demonstrated a violent and unpredictable streak. I can't foresee any judge saying, just because you're the biological father of this kid, Mr. Homeless, Rageaholic, truck driver guy, will give you custody of your son over the man who has effectively raised him. But I'm a champion. Yeah. (laughs) Well, no, but that's the problem. As we find out at the end of the movie, all you got to do is win an arm wrestling championship. (laughs) And that's it. You get custody of whoever you want. Go over the top, get your son back. (laughs) Maybe that's the thing. He goes to court. He challenges the judge to an arm wrestling competition. <laughs> he goes over the top of the judge, and you've been overruled. What can I do? <laughs> you've good, been overruled. Good catchphrase. The ear of catchphrases with Stallone and Schwarzenegger. That's pretty good. My hands are tied. He won. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a fair judge. Oh, man. This movie was entertaining. We had to give him that much for sure. Almost scene to scene, it made no sense, but it was a lot of fun. Have and you ever heard of or seen Troll 2? Is Troll or Troll 2 the one with Jennifer Aniston in it? Or is that Leprechaun? That's Leprechaun. That's Leprechaun, sorry. Like the first Leprechaun. Might have been her first movie Wasn't there like well. a troll in space also? Leprechaun what? in space, I think. Oh, damn it. Right. Okay, anyway, I'll stop. But the Troll 2 thing was a very bad movie we heard a little bit about, and one of our friends knew about it too and said, you got to see this movie because it's so bad. It's like The Room. Not Room as in the Brie Larson Oscar running movie, but The Room. People maybe know what that is. <laughs> hey, Mike. It's, or no, exactly. hey, Mark. Hey, Mark. Hey, Mark. I did not hit her. I did not. I did not. Hey, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible movie. And Troll 2 is similar. The acting's awful, but it is entertaining. Yeah. This reminded me a lot of Troll 2 because I had fun watching it, but it is dreadful. I guess I've made that clear. You've made that clear. This is one of the worst movies we will ever see, and yet I can't say I hated watching it. And we're going to see Stallone again. We've seen him so often in this podcast. He did eight Rocky movies. We've covered a lot of them already. Bev and I on my other podcast did the first Rocky and the first Creed. Mm -hmm. I guess we could do those, but we probably won't. But we will probably do all the Rockies one day. So eight Rocky movies. We're going to end up doing probably six of them. Driven, which I remember hating, but it is a car racing movie in yep. 2001. Victory, John Huston directed that movie, and Pele is in it. And really? I think Stallone is the goalie, and it's a World War II set soccer movie where they take on, they're POWs, I believe, and they take on the Nazis. Grudge Match, we'll probably do that next year when it's going to be 10 years old. Sure. Stallone and De Niro, boxing. Wasn't good, but why not? And then Death Race 2000, which I guess technically counts as a racing movie. So that's what, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. And this makes 13 sports movies this guy was in. He could crush Costner from the top of the podcast mountain before it's all said and done. Don Johnson was being talked about for the role as well. And he probably would have been fine. We loved him in Tin Cup. We said Sloan isn't that bad in this movie, but his screenplay is that bad. And by the way, he co-wrote with Sterling Siliphant. Now, the original writer of this movie, of the screenplay, was very upset when they changed the script so much and made oh, yeah. it about trucks and so much about arm wrestling. I think it was supposed to be a part of it, but not as much of a part of it. And Sterling Siliphant is an Oscar winner for In the Heat of the Night, 
which also won Best Picture. And then he did The Poseidon Adventure, which Bev and I are doing, let's see, next week. Oh. So four days from now. Not a great screenplay, but a pretty fun and a very successful disaster movie. And then he, 10 years later or so, 15 years later, writes this with Stallone. I'd love to see what the original vision for the screenplay was from this writer you're talking about who got mad about the rewrites. Because it smacks of crazy cuts and edits and reshoots and just moving around and rejigging of sequencing and stuff like that. A lot of chefs in the kitchen. A lot of chefs in the kitchen. So it makes me wonder, did somebody, be it Stallone, the director, the backers were say, no, we need... More trucks. The Convoy era of truckers was more late 70s than was right. There was a movie called Convoy in the late 70s. Yeah. I don't know why trucking had to be such a big element in it. But anyway, maybe somebody said, we need trucks. We need arm wrestling. Stallone has proven his ability to write, obviously, mm-hmm. in the past. So you've got two guys working over an existing screenplay who are maybe trying to shoehorn in elements that they know doesn't fit, but are being told needs to be in there. All this stuff can happen to really mess up what might have otherwise been a really workable screenplay. What if you hadn't had all these voices demanding changes to this? Maybe it's a much better movie. I suspect it would have been. Such a by-the-numbers story in the end, though, too. It's something we've seen many times. Maybe it wasn't so by-the-numbers in 87, although it probably was. A few more cast members we have to talk about. Of course, Loja, the second build actor, was in Necessary Roughness. Yeah, he was. He's an assistant coach. All right! And I recently covered An Officer and a Gentleman, where he's got a very small role as Gear's father on the Top 100 Project, which, by the way, in a week or so, will be called have you ever seen? We're changing our name for the podcast. Susan Blakely, who's got that pretty small role as Christina, was in Lords of Flatbush with Sly 10 or 15 years before this movie. I don't know if she's got a lot of scenes with him, but she did star in that movie with him or appear in it. Rick Zumwalt is Bull. So he's the hit me goon in Batman Returns. Hit me. Go ahead, hit me. And then Batman puts the bomb and then pitches him off and Batman murders somebody. We know Batman kills people, but even in the Michael Keaton ones, he killed somebody. You know what I'm talking about, that yeah, yeah. giant guy? So that's him. And did a lot of one-offs on TV. If I had to guess, I'd guess that Bull in this movie was still 6'4", 6'5", 6'6", right? He hit it 6'4", it says here. Okay, yeah. Richard Lee Zumwalt Jr. died of a heart attack in 2003. Oh, all right. pretty convincing for a guy. Well, I guess he's an actor, but I don't think of him as an actor that's all that well. But then again, his known for first one, over the top. Then Batman Returns. We laugh at some length at the Rocky movies with love, I think, for mm-hmm. both of us. The fact that these guys walk out and are just bucketing sweat before they get in the ring. Stone sweating his neck is anyway in jail. <laughs> yeah, you had one of the funniest lines of anything that you've said when we've watched movies together. He's so sweaty. Why is he so sweaty? Because you can make the argument that, okay, it's hot in the jail. Nobody else is sweating. It's just Stallone's his neck. His head isn't. It's just his neck. It's just his neck. <laughs> what did you say? His neck is crying so his eyes don't have to. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how to cross. Maybe my neck will do it for me. Because it was meant to be that whole emotional scene where he's demanding custody of the kid from Robert Loja's attorney henchman guy. But that's where he signs it over is in the jail. Exactly. That wasn't the only time we saw that. We talked about during Undisputed, one of the scenes of that movie actually clarified something for me that I can apply to the Rocky movies. Of course, these boxers are warming up probably for a considerable period of time before going into the ring so they don't pull any muscles or anything. So, okay. I've maybe unfairly criticized the sheer level of sweat of those guys. I don't see these arm wrestling dudes doing like 30 minutes of cardio before they step up to their match. But nonetheless, Bull in this movie is just bucketing sweat at every opportunity. Doesn't matter where he is, inside, outside, in casino, in the desert. Just sweaty as all get out, permanently. What happens next? Dies of a heart attack the next day. 
yeah, maybe this was an early warning sign in the 80s. Your body's not cooling itself. Maybe you should get that checked out. Nah, it's fine. I'm going to go order some more fried chicken from this highway side diner that apparently I lurk in just waiting for Stallone to show up <laughs> so I can razz him. Hope he shows up. Well, David Mendenhall, who lectures Stallone about his eating habits in that same diner, he was Sam Witwicky in the Transformers 1986 movie, and then he also did it on the series. So he mostly did TV. I know I've seen him in something. Maybe it was a soap opera. I used to watch soap operas with my sister and my mom, so maybe that was what it was. I know I've seen him before in something, but I couldn't place it. And, of course, you don't see him in the Transformers stuff because he's just a voice actor. Menahem Golan, he's the director. He produced Cobra for Sly earlier in the decade. Oh, really? Did a lot of indie stuff, though. I think he worked with Roger Corman, even. Okay. And then his cousin, what's his name again? Globus. So I know Golan Globus. I've seen that moniker on movies I've watched before. Yeah, Yoram Globus is one of the producers on this, too. So they financed this movie. And I guess they're the ones that said to Stallone, we'll give you whatever we have to to get you to sign on to this. The depiction of the sport, well, I don't know. It's probably not that realistic. We already talked about him actually doing the over-the-top move, but it's probably mostly silly and ridiculous. There's a lot of it. It's funny. There's not a whole hell of a lot of it for, like, the first hour. We just got, I think, two sequences of it. And then there's a lot of it the last half hour. I don't know. It's entertaining enough. It's fine. (laughs) Okay. I guess. Sure. And as for can you score? Well, if your fetish is gazing at bulging biceps, then you're going to be quite horny for a solid 93 minutes. Of course, there's a kid on screen for a lot of the time, so that should turn you off again. It's a tricky balance. It is a tricky balance. Not really a scorable movie. No. The woman dying of cancer as well. It's not cancer, though. Okay. Well, see, this is the weird thing. Is it a broken heart, Chris? Actually, it is specifically a broken heart. They said she had heart surgery and died, so... Throughout the whole movie, we see her lying in bed, and I know you have blocked arteries or whatever, but still, she seems like a very young and fit woman Mm -hmm. to be requiring bypass surgery, I guess. But we see her in the hospital room a couple times, because like you said, the only scenes we get of her in this movie are her on the phone with Mm -hmm. Stallone, basically. She looks like the way you see movies depict cancer patients, especially in the 80s. That's why I thought she was one. So did I, until she died, and we find out from the doctor, whatever, blah, 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 heart surgery, blah, 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 died. We don't know what happened. I thought it was cancer-related, that's why I just linked them together. If you have her look that way in a movie, people are just going to assume cancer. Just have it be cancer. Yeah. Right? As for a score, I'll give it a 3 out of 10. And all three of those are because it was fun <laughs> to rip on the movie then and now. I was entertained. I won't deny that. We had a ball ripping on it in my living room. But it's a terrible movie, and I'm glad it bombed. It is one of the worst movies we've seen. If I watched it alone, I might have given it a lower score because it was fun to do that with somebody else to say, that's stupid. Did you see that? Can you believe this shit? This man's made good movies, meaning Stallone. How could he make such a bad film this time? Well, he's made a lot of bad ones, and this is around the time he started making so many bad ones. But this is on the list with Oscar and Stop or My Mom Will Shoot, which is how inept it is. I think you rewound this movie four or five times at least, because there were scenes that we saw that can't have been what I think it was. right? it was. But it was, right? So We thought the worst, and every time we were proven correct. (laughs) I might actually abstain from a score in this movie, because this is a god-awful movie from every objective movie-making sense, but it's a hell of a lot of fun. I try not to crib from other way more successful podcasts, but, you know, the Flophouse. I don't. You don't? They've been around for ages, but they specifically do bad movies, right? So they don't score the movie. There's three of them, and they ask each other, is this like a good, bad movie, a bad, bad movie, or a movie you kind of like? This is definitely a good, bad movie in my eyes, because as long as you're watching with somebody else... It's a hell of a lot of fun, even if it's a terrible movie. So so this is Troll 2, The Room type stuff. Right? Absolutely. I haven't seen Troll 2 to the best of my... If I have, I've forgotten it. But I've seen The Room. To me, this movie was more fun than The Room. Yeah. Let's call this an abstention from score. All right. Me. To end the year, too, because this is our last podcast. We wanted to end on a fun note, and I guess we did, except I didn't think it was going to be this bad. <laughs> 
But I did enjoy ripping on it. Get your fucking name straight. It's other Hogwarts. So have yourself a happy little holiday and a merry new year in the next few weeks, listeners. Keep yourself safe. If you're going to get into any arm wrestling matches, don't drink. Don't drink and drive, sure, but really keep booze out of your system if angry handshaking might be on the table. You need to remain sharp if you're going to remember to go over the top and get your son back. It won't hold up in the courts, but you got to do it anyway. Fuck his grandfather. We want to thank everybody for tuning in to any or all of our 26 episodes in 2022. We've still never missed a week in all these years. We've only been late posting a show once, and that's when I was on vacation and just couldn't do it properly down there. I was going to, but it didn't want to work, so it went up on a Sunday rather than the Thursday. We hope the way we mix it up and cover different sports, like arm wrestling, twice this year, is fun for the audience. So when we talk to you again on January 5th, 2023, we'll be going back to the mid-80s and finally seeing Rob Lowe, Patrick Swayze, and Keanu Reeves lace up the skates in Youngblood. I saw this movie a very long time ago. You haven't at all, right? Never. And I'm curious to see how it looks now. Thanks, free print on YouTube. We haven't been able to find it anywhere else. I wanted to try to get it from the library. I'd pay for it. I'll actually pony up five, six bucks for it, but it wasn't even a possibility. And yet here it is. Somebody put it up on YouTube, and we managed to get it in before it was taken back down. I'm sure it will be at some point. As for how to contact us, of course, we're both on Twitter. I'm at MovieFiend51. Chris is at ScoringAtMovies. The email address is ScoringAtTheMovies at gmail.com. Please contact us. Rate us. Subscribe. Go back and listen to the old podcast. We've been doing this since, I think it was the summer of 2018. 119 episodes. And again, have a good new year and all that stuff. So take your easy, Lincoln Hawks. And for the love of Mike, just give the boy back to his grandpa. You're in no position to raise such an emotional wreck of a kid, Lincoln Hawks.